Chapter Three of the Pursuit of God. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pursuit of God by A. W. Tozer. Chapter Three. Removing the Veil. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews ten nineteen. Among the famous sayings of the church fathers, none is better known than Augustine's, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. The great saint states here in a few words the origin and interior history of the human race. God made us for himself, that is the only explanation that satisfies the heart of a thinking man, whatever his wild reason may say should faulty education and perverse reasoning lead a man to conclude otherwise there is little that any christian can do for him for such a man i have no message my appeal is addressed to those who have been previously taught in secret by the wisdom of god i speak to thirsty hearts whose longings have been wakened by the touch of god within them and such as they need no reasoned proof their restless hearts furnish all the proof they need god formed us for himself the shorter catechism agreed upon by reverend assembly of divines at westminster as the old new england primer has it asks the ancient questions what and why and answers them in one short sentence hardly matched in any uninspired work question what is the chief end of man answer man's chief end is to glorify god and enjoy him forever with this agree the four-and-twenty elders who fall on their faces to worship him that liveth for ever and ever saying thou art worthy o lord to receive glory and honour and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created god formed us for his pleasure and so formed us that we as well as he can in divine communion enjoy the sweet and mysterious mingling of kindred personalities he meant us to see him and live with him and draw our life from his smile but we have been guilty of that foul revolt of which milton speaks when describing the rebellion of satan and his hosts we have broken with god we have ceased to obey him or love him and in guilt and fear have fled as far as possible from his presence yet who can flee from his presence when the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him when as the wisdom of solomon testifies the spirit of the lord filleth the world the omnipresence of the lord is one thing and is a solemn fact necessary to his perfection the manifest presence is another thing altogether and from that presence we have fled like adam to hide among the trees of the garden or like peter to shrink away crying depart from me for i am a sinful man o lord so the life of man upon the earth is a life away from the presence wrenched loose from that blissful centre which is our right and proper dwelling-place our first estate which we kept not the loss of which is the cause of our unceasing restlessness the whole work of god in redemption is to undo the tragic effects of that foul revolt and to bring us back again into right and eternal relationship with himself this required that our sins be disposed of satisfactorily that a full reconciliation be effected and the way opened for us to return again into conscious communion with god and to live again in the presence as before then by his prevenient working within us he moves us to return this first comes to our notice when our restless hearts feel a yearning for the presence of god and we say within ourselves i will arise and go to my father 
that is the first step and as the chinese sage laosé has said the journey of a thousand miles begins with a first step the interior journey of the soul from the wilds of sin into the enjoyed presence of god is beautifully illustrated in the old testament tabernacle the returning sinner first entered the outer court where he offered a blood sacrifice on the brazen altar and washed himself in the laver that stood near it then through a veil he passed into the holy place where no natural light could come but the golden candlestick which spoke of jesus the light of the world threw its soft glow over all there also was the showbread to tell of jesus the bread of life and the altar of incense a figure of unceasing prayer though the worshipper had enjoyed so much still he had not yet entered the presence of god another veil separated from the holy of holies where above the mercy seat dwelt the very god himself in awful and glorious manifestation while the tabernacle stood only the high priest could enter there and that but once a year with blood which he offered for his sins and the sins of the people it was this last veil which was rent when our lord gave up the ghost on calvary and the sacred writer explains that this rending of the veil opened the way for every worshipper in the world to come by the new and living way straight into the divine presence everything in the new testament accords with this old testament picture ransomed men need no longer pause in fear to enter the holy of holies god wills that we should push on into his presence and live our whole life there this is to be known to us in conscious experience it is more than a doctrine to be held it is a life to be enjoyed every moment of every day this flame of the presence was the beating heart of the levitical order without it all the appointments of the tabernacle were characters of some unknown language they had no meaning for israel or for us the greatest fact of the tabernacle was that jehovah was there a presence was waiting within the veil similarly the presence of god is the central fact of christianity at the heart of the christian message is god himself waiting for his redeemed children to push into conscious awareness of his presence that type of christianity which happens now to be the vogue knows this presence only in theory it fails to stress the christian's privilege of present realization according to its teachings we are in the presence of god positionally and nothing is said about the need to experience that presence actually the fiery urge that drove men like mcchain is wholly missing and the present generation of christians measures itself by this imperfect rule ignoble contentment takes the place of burning zeal we are satisfied to rest in our judicial possessions and for the most part we bother ourselves very little about the absence of personal experience who is this within the veil who dwells in fiery manifestations it is none other than god himself one god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible and one lord jesus christ the only begotten son of god begotten of his father before all worlds god of god light of light very god of very god begotten not made being of one substance with the father and the holy ghost the lord and giver of life who proceedeth from the father and the son who with the father and the son together is worshipped and glorified yet this holy trinity is one god for we worship one god in trinity and trinity in unity neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance for there is one person of the father another of the son and another of the holy ghost 
but the godhead of the father of the son and of the holy ghost is all one the glory equal and the majesty co-eternal so in part run the ancient creeds and so the inspired word declares behind the veil is god that god after whom the world with strange inconsistency has felt if haply they might find him he has discovered himself to some extent in nature but more perfectly in the incarnation now he waits to show himself in ravishing fullness to the humble of soul and the pure in heart the world is perishing for lack of the knowledge of god and the church is famishing for want of his presence the instant cure of most of our religious ills would be to enter the presence in spiritual experience to become suddenly aware that we are in god and that god is in us this would lift us out of our pitiful narrowness and cause our hearts to be enlarged this would burn away the impurities from our lives as the bugs and fungi were burned away by the fire that dwelt in the bush what a broad world to roam in what a sea to swim in is this god and father of our lord jesus christ he is eternal which means that he antedates time and is wholly independent of it time began in him and will end in him to it he pays no tribute and from it he suffers no change he is immutable which means that he has never changed and can never change in any smallest measure to change he would need to go from better to worse or from worse to better he cannot do either for being perfect he cannot become more perfect and if he were to become less perfect he would be less than god he is omniscient which means that he knows in one free and effortless act all matter all spirit all relationships all events he has no past and he has no future he is and none of the limiting and qualifying terms used of creatures can apply to him love and mercy and righteousness are his and holiness so ineffable that no comparisons or figures will avail to express it only fire can give even a remote conception of it in fire he appeared at the burning bush in the pillar of fire he dwelt through all the long wilderness journey the fire that glowed beneath the wings of the cherubim in the holy place was called the shekinah the presence through the years of israel's glory and when the old had given place to the new he came at pentecost as a fiery flame and rested upon each disciple spinoza wrote of the intellectual love of god and he had a measure of truth there but the highest love of god is not intellectual it is spiritual god is spirit and only the spirit of man can know him really in the deep spirit of a man the fire must glow or his love is not the true love of god the great of the kingdom have been those who loved god more than others did we all know who they have been and gladly pay tribute to the depths and sincerity of their devotion we have but to pause for a moment and their names come trooping past us smelling of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces frederick faber was one whose soul panted after god as the roe pants after the water brook and the measure in which god revealed himself to his seeking heart set the good man's whole life afire with a burning adoration rivaling that of the seraphim before the throne his love for god extended to the three persons of the godhead equally yet he seemed to feel for each one a special kind of love reserved for him alone of god the father he sings only to sit and think of god oh what a joy it is to think the thought to breathe the name earth has no higher bliss 
father of jesus love's reward what rapture will it be prostrate before thy throne to lie and gaze and gaze on thee his love for the person of christ was so intense that it threatened to consume him it burned within him as a sweet and holy madness and flowed from his lips like molten gold in one of his sermons he says wherever we turn in the church of god there is jesus he is the beginning middle and end of everything to us there is nothing good nothing holy nothing beautiful nothing joyous which he is not to his servants no one need be poor because if he chooses he can have jesus for his own property and possession no one need be downcast for jesus is the joy of heaven and it is his joy to enter into sorrowful hearts we can exaggerate about many things but we can never exaggerate our obligation to jesus or the compassionate abundance of the love of jesus to us all our lives long we might talk of jesus and yet we should never come to an end of the sweet things that might be said of him eternity will not be long enough to learn all he is or to praise him for all he has done but then that matters not for we shall be always with him and we desire nothing more and addressing our lord directly he says to him i love thee so i know not how my transports to control thy love is like a burning fire within my very soul faber's blazing love extended also to the holy spirit not only in his theology did he acknowledge his deity and full equality with the father and the son but he celebrated it constantly in his songs and in his prayers he literally pressed his forehead to the ground in his eager fervid worship of the third person of the godhead in one of his great hymns to the holy spirit he sums up his burning devotion thus o spirit beautiful and dread my heart is fit to break with love of all thy tenderness for us poor sinners sake i have risked the tedium of quotation that i might show by pointed example what i have set out to say viz that god is so vastly wonderful so utterly and completely delightful that he can without anything other than himself meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature mysterious and deep as that nature is such worship as faber knew and he is but one of a great company which no man can number can never come from a mere doctrinal knowledge of god hearts that are fit to break with love for the godhead are those who have been in the presence and have looked with opened eye upon the majesty of deity men of the breaking hearts had a quality about them not known to or understood by common men they habitually spoke with spiritual authority they had been in the presence of god and they reported what they saw there they were prophets not scribes for the scribe tells us what he has read and the prophet tells us what he has seen the distinction is not an imaginary one between the scribe who has read and the prophet who has seen there is a difference as wide as the sea we are to-day overrun with orthodox scribes but the prophets where are they the hard voice of the scribe sounds over evangelicalism but the church waits for the tender voice of the saint who has penetrated the veil and has gazed with inward eye upon the wonder that is god and yet thus to penetrate to push in sensitive living experience into the holy presence is a privilege open to every child of god 
with the veil removed by the rending of jesus flesh with nothing on god's side to prevent us from entering why do we tarry without why do we consent to abide all our days just outside the holy of holies and never enter at all to look upon god we hear the bridegroom say let me see thy countenance let me hear thy voice for sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely we sense that the call is for us but still we fail to draw near and the years pass and we grow old and tired in the outer courts of the tabernacle what doth hinder us the answer usually given simply that we are cold will not explain all the facts there is something more serious than coldness of heart something that may be back of that coldness and be the cause of its existence what is it what but the presence of a veil in our hearts a veil not taken away as the first veil was but which remains there still shutting out the light and hiding the face of god from us it is the veil of our fleshly fallen nature living on unjudged within us uncrucified and unrepudiated it is the close-woven veil of the self-life which we have never truly acknowledged of which we have been secretly ashamed and which for these reasons we have never brought to the judgment of the cross it is not too mysterious this opaque veil nor is it hard to identify we have but to look in our own hearts and we shall see it there sewn and patched and repaired it may be but there nevertheless an enemy to our lives and an effective block to our spiritual progress this veil is not a beautiful thing and it is not a thing about which we commonly care to talk but i am addressing the thirsting souls who are determined to follow god and i know they will not turn back because the way leads temporarily through the blackened hills the urge of god within them will assure their continuing the pursuit they will face the facts however unpleasant and endure the cross for the joy set before them so i am bold to name the threads out of which this inner veil is woven it is woven of the fine threads of the self-life the hyphenated sins of the human spirit they are not something we do they are something we are and therein lies both their subtlety and their power to be specific the self-sins are these self-righteousness self-pity self-confidence self-sufficiency self-admiration self-love and a host of others like them they dwell too deep within us and are too much a part of our natures to come to our attention till the light of god is focused upon them the grosser manifestations of these sins egotism exhibitionism self-promotion are strangely tolerated in christian leaders even in circles of impeccable orthodoxy they are so much in evidence as actually for many people to become identified with the gospel I trust it is not a cynical observation to say that they appear these days to be a requisite for popularity in some sections of the church visible. Promoting self under the guise of promoting Christ is currently so common as to excite little notice. One should suppose that proper instruction in the doctrines of man's depravity and the necessity for justification through the righteousness of Christ alone would deliver us from the power of the self-sins, but it does not work out that way self can live unrebuked at the very altar it can watch the bleeding victim die and not be in the least affected by what it sees it can fight for the faith of the reformers and preach eloquently the creed of salvation by grace and gain strength by its efforts to tell all the truth it seems actually to feed upon orthodoxy and is more at home in a bible conference than in a tavern 
our very state of longing after god may afford it an excellent condition under which to thrive and grow self is the opaque veil that hides the face of god from us it can be removed only in spiritual experience never by mere instruction as well try to instruct leprosy out of our system there must be a work of god in destruction before we are free we must invite the cross to do its deadly work within us we must bring ourselves sins to the cross for judgment we must prepare ourselves for an ordeal of suffering in some measure like that through which our saviour passed when he suffered under pontius pilate let us remember when we talk of the rending of the veil we are speaking in a figure and the thought of it is poetical almost pleasant but in actuality there is nothing pleasant about it in human experience that veil is made of living spiritual tissue it is composed of the sentient quivering stuff of which our whole beings consist and to touch it is to touch us where we feel pain to tear it away is to injure us to hurt us and make us bleed to say otherwise is to make the cross no cross and death no death at all it is never fun to die to rip through the dear and tender stuff of which life is made can never be anything but deeply painful yet that is what the cross did to jesus and it is what the cross would do to every man to set him free let us beware of tinkering with our inner life in hope ourselves to rend the veil god must do everything for us our part is to yield and trust we must confess forsake repudiate the self-life and then reckon it crucified but we must be careful to distinguish lazy acceptance from the real work of god we must insist upon the work being done we dare not rest content with a neat doctrine of self-crucifixion that is to imitate saul and spare the best of the sheep and the oxen insist that the work be done in very truth and it will be done the cross is rough and it is deadly but it is effective it does not keep its victim hanging there forever there comes a moment when its work is finished and the suffering victim dies after that is resurrection glory and power and the pain is forgotten for joy that the veil is taken away and we have entered in actual spiritual experience the presence of the living god lord how excellent are thy ways and how devious and dark are the ways of man show us how to die that we may rise again to newness of life rend the veil of our self-life from the top down as thou didst rend the veil of the temple we would draw near in full assurance of faith we would dwell with thee in daily experience here on this earth so that we may be accustomed to the glory when we enter thy heaven to dwell with thee there in Jesus' name, Amen. End of chapter 3